The Eyes to the Left. Hello and welcome to Eyes to the Left, the Mirrors political podcast. My name is Jason Beatty and I'm joined today by Richard Wilkinson and Kate Pickett. And they are two academics who almost 10 years ago, 2009, wrote a groundbreaking book called The Spirit Level, which was timed very fortuitously or maybe predictably with the kind of uh, post-crash problems, the rise in austerity, and that explored the impact of inequality on people's lives. And you use an awful lot of information, research, detail to show how that in more unequal countries, you have greater social problems, whether it's higher homicide rates, greater imprisonment, higher numbers of teenage pregnancies. And now you've got a new book out, which is why they're here to join me. And I'm really excited about this. It's called The Inner Level. And rather than me explain, it's probably easier if you explain. I was just thinking this is more of a sister book rather than a sequel. Is that fair to say? Yes, it's really dealing with more intimate things than the spirit level dealt with. I mean, as you said, in that we were dealing with things like uh, uh, levels of homicide and uh, teenage births and so on. In this, we're dealing with how we are affected most intimately by inequality, uh, principally our worries about self-worth, which seem to be more important in more unequal societies. And so it's the psychological effects of inequality we're dealing with. Yeah, and that's, a, that's a very interesting point because I was thinking about this is, is, you know, while the spirit level is almost dispassionate look at the problems, this is a much more personal, emotive book in many respects. Kate, what, what was the inspiration behind you and Richard doing this? Well, I mean, as, as you pointed out, in the spirit level, what we were doing is showing... Um, that for a whole range of health and social outcomes, inequality made things worse, that it made things quite a lot worse, um, and that it affected everybody. And we did that by comparing outcomes in rich developed countries and across the 50 states of the USA in chart after chart after chart that showed the correlations between those, those two things. And we discussed why we thought those links might be there, but we didn't at the time have evidence that the things we were theorising were important were actually important and related to inequality, things like anxieties about status. So in part, it was necessary to publish The Spirit Level, which I think then inspired lots of other people to do more research on inequality, including in, in disciplines that hadn't really looked at those kinds of problems before, like psychology more in sociology, more economists looking at it. But the psychologists in particular testing some of the ideas that we had suggested were the links. So in part, we had to wait for those pieces of the puzzle to come about and then to be thinking about how they fit together. Yes, so the things we looked at in the spirit level, many of them are behavioural factors. I mean, rises in violence, homicide and so on, um, teenage births, um, drug use, uh, all sorts of things like that that get worse, they're all showing in a sense that somehow inequality is affecting how we behave. It's something that goes through our minds. Um, and so we knew that there was another level uh, of understanding of the effects of inequality to be unpacked, um, i.e. how it gets into our heads. And that's what this more recent book is about. And one of the, the, the key factors which you stress 
throughout the book is this affects us all. It, it's as detrimental to the rich as it is to the poor, having this sort of inequality. But we're all suffering, apart from maybe a few right at the top, oh, from greater we, we levels of stress about. and, that, and that's depression. Right. So it's it's not quite true to say that we are all equally affected. Certainly mm. the impact of inequality is felt most strongly by those at the bottom of society. Um, but you're right, the effects go all the way to the top so that our colleagues at Harvard describe inequality as a social pollutant because it is like being exposed to air pollution. We're all, we're all exposed. Because its effects aren't just confined to the poor. And, and within this, can, can, can you kind of explain some of the kind of the findings, the consequences in terms of you know, people's well-being, self-esteem, mental health, which you, which you came across. Yes, I think the main thing about living in a more unequal society is money and social status matter more, uh, and we judge each other more by social status. And of course, we're more worried about how we are judged. You know, it increases the idea that some people are much more valuable, worthwhile, cleverer than others. Uh, the the social hierarchy is often seen as if it was a hierarchy of ability from people who are almost super beings at the top to people who are worth, seen as worthless at the bottom. Um, those kinds of, uh, and that idea of differences in human value um, are what are increased by inequality and they're extraordinarily damaging to, to human beings. So, as I say, we all get more worried about how we're seen and, and judged. That means uh, we're more concerned with appearances, self-presentation. Uh, social contact becomes um, more stressful. Uh, the people who feel it most uh, perhaps uh, overcome with uh, self-doubts, lack of confidence, low self-esteem, and try and avoid social contact because it's so so stressful. Other people react in exactly the opposite way. You know, if you're worried about what people think of you, um, you're quite likely to become what we call narcissistic. You flaunt your achievements and abilities, perhaps exaggerate them, find ways of bringing them into conversation instead of being modest about yourself. Um, so there are people who are bigging themselves up at one end uh, and others who are becoming depressed, withdrawing from social life. And you find both those responses to this bigger worry about how you're seen, both those responses more common in more unequal societies. And, and you, you wrote, write about things, for example, about how loneliness is a, is a key issue. And, and you kind of say, for example, you cite research which shows that people who are uh, have fewer friends take longer to recover from that's right from illnesses that's right, or, and it takes longer for I think you mentioned <clears throat> blisters to heal, as an example. But it's it's bigger than that as well, Kate. I mean, do, do comment on that, but mm. because it's it's also about how we engage as communities. So we more unequal societies have what Robert Putman would say was less social capital. They have less time for neighbours. They have less time for 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 giving money to charity or looking after but people who are sick or the elderly. Is, yeah, is so that... so you can see the effects at all these different levels. You know, at the very um, direct individual level we know that things like friendship is incredibly protective for health it's as protective for health as smoking is bad for health you're right if people have um, a good relationship and you give them an experimental wound they heal faster than if they have a, a, a bad relationship so at the individual level 
We know a lot about the importance of social relationships for health and well-being. At the societal level, we can see that inequality also affects the way we interact with one another and affects social relationships at that level. So we see less trust and solidarity in more unequal societies, less civic participation and, and a real destruction of community relationships. Yes, that's particularly powerful and important effect of inequality. You can really see how it damages uh, social relationships in society, uh, making people more out for themselves. Community life withers with greater inequality. People are less likely to be involved in local groups and so on. Uh, they trust each other less. Uh, there's more violence. Um, the studies that show people in more unequal societies are less helpful to the disabled and elderly, so on. Um, but when you get real levels of inequality that are way above what either Britain or the United States have, when you look at countries like Mexico or uh, South Africa with appalling levels of inequality, you find it's moved even further. Uh, so people are frightened of each other. So houses commonly have uh, enormous fences, razor wire on top, bars on the windows and doors. They're barricaded against each other. And those same more unequal societies uh, spend much more money on what's called guard labor. People in security jobs, uh, police, prison officers, so on. The people we use to protect each ourselves from each other. And so... There is this appalling story of the shift that goes with greater inequality from those societies of strong community life and reciprocity to uh, societies where we protect ourselves from each other. I'm going to come on to the, the, some of your suggested solutions later, but, but what are the political implications of this? I mean, you note that, you know, Donald Trump in the presidential election performed best in the most unequal states is and you could almost kind of relay that map onto brexit but that the leave vote was probably strongest in the parts of the united kingdom with the greatest inequality is this kind of a, a wake-up call to progressive politicians to say look you've got to sort this out but you, you you've left these areas come behind yes, i think it certainly should be because if you have a decline of trust and civic participation then you're really seeing a decline in democracy and I think that should be of concern to politicians on both right and, and left. Um, and also, I think you're right that both the Brexit vote and Donald Trump's election reflect fragmentation in those societies caused by inequality and the anger and despair of those who feel that they've been left behind while others have continued and you to do see well. the You see the effects even on death rates um, of people in these uh, feeling left behind I think the the move to um, further right and sometimes further left parties uh, is um, a giving up on traditional parties who've allowed these problems to go on unaddressed uh, for a generation or more. You know, we've had changes of government and it hasn't made much difference, is I think the, the experience of many people. But I think there's another political aspect in that... Um, Again, across the political spectrum, what politicians want or say they want is to create a better society, to improve well-being. And what our research is showing, and obviously it's a synthesis of research contributed by academics all over the world, 
what that body of research is showing is that reducing inequality is a powerful lever for improving lots of different kinds of outcomes, improving the ability of our societies to create well-being, to foster the capabilities and talents of everybody in the population. So there's, there's good political reasons to look at this evidence and think about how to translate it into policy that is both positive as well as trying to sort of undo the damage that's been caused by um, high levels of inequality that we've had for so long. Just to, um, you, you mentioned that you're seeing kind of you know the rise of populist parties, but you, you're seeing those in some of the countries you cite as actually good examples of kind of, kind of equal countries. So, for example, you've got the AfD in in Germany, you've got in the Scandinavian countries. You know, you've seen in kind of you know Sweden. And yes, in, but and I would argue it's in the two most unequal of the rich developed countries okay. that we we've, we've <laughs> seen those populist parties actually manage to gain some kind of electoral or, or referendum success and and movement in brexit on one Mm, hand and trump on the other but also if we look at sweden where there has been a shift to the right politically over over recent years and they have the fastest growing inequality within the oecd we can see declines in in health and social outcomes for them um, a noticeable decline in child well-being and educational attainments as well so no, no society is immune from, from those forces and will not be immune from the consequences of them. Yeah, most developed countries have had rises in inequality since around 1980 um, and many of them have had austerity programs as well. Uh, so I think a great deal of this is a reaction to those changes. And, and how much is down to economy and how much is down to social factors, whether it's a kind of decline in, 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 in kind of faith-based religions, or whether it's because that certain societies are less cohesive than they used to be. I mean, this is a bit I, I wrestle with. I mean, if you read... You're meaning, is it just income? Is it just material inequality? Yes, I mean, if you read things like, mm. you know, Richard Brooks's The Social Animal, which comes from a slightly different angle from, from you, I mean, you know, he would say a lot of it is cultural, and that, you know, mm. these are kind of, you know, kind of historic reasons why some communities have you know are more successful than others. We say that uh, inequality has cultural effects uh, that you can't divorce uh, inequality from its wider social effects Uh, and it's interesting that if you compare very different societies with high levels of inequality very different cultures and take as what I mentioned earlier South Africa, uh, Mexico, Russia Um, which are unequal for extraordinarily different reasons. Uh, And yet, uh, in each case, it leads to high rates of um, um, violence, homicide rates and uh, poor health. Um, The effects aren't dependent on a particular culture. Um, But rather than thinking of it just about material goods, you see, that's we regard that as a very naive understanding of inequality. It's not really about whether it creates poverty or is regarded as very unfair. It's It increases those feelings of superiority at the top and inferiority. And the way that um, the sort of social prejudices, you, people look down on the people below them, have more prejudiced attitudes, start thinking that the poor are poor because they're um, lazy and stupid, um, more racial prejudice and so on that goes with uh, 
uh, inequality. Um, and it's that way that um, the material differences of inequality increase those social prejudices. Um, and They're so closely intertwined, yes. you really can't divorce the material from the social. Income inequality is easily measured. Um, luckily, there are lots of things you can do to reduce it. Um, and because of its social meaning, reducing inequality will have powerful social and psychological effects. So they're not they're not different things. They're very, very tightly interwoven. Yeah. The reason I ask the question is because I, I, I spend quite a lot of my time in Spain and they, mm. they still have very good kind of and they're kind of very natural, organic ways of binding communities together. And and but also they have quite strict laws to actually make sure communities are bound together. For example, if you live in a tower block, every stairwell on that tower block has to elect every year a president and a vice president of the stair to make sure you look after that stairwell. And that's a kind of good example to me of a, of a state intervening to say this brings the community together. But also they do, whether it's through their fiestas, mm. they, they kind of they, they put a premium on communities, neighbourhoods coming together for the collective good. And I'm just wondering how much you could help solve some of the problems if we had that slightly stronger tradition? I, th I think you could certainly help. And all of the things you're describing, um, community festivals or democratic representation and control of community spaces, all of the, those things are going to help to foster the sorts of social goods we've been talking about. But as long as inequality is destructive of those things, It'll be somewhat sort of fighting a, a, a losing battle or fighting against a rising tide of inequality. Yeah, as the data shows, um, the more inequality, the weaker the community life, the less likely people are to participate in local groups and voluntary associations. But just as we can um, see the, strong effect. the kinds of vicious circles that Richard was describing in terms of inequality and violence and people being fearful of each other and closing themselves off, it's very easy to think about virtuous circles as well, where a little bit of reduction in inequality, which may raise um, levels of trust between people, will help to foster the kinds of social capital and community engagement that then starts to bring people even closer together. And you can see that that might lead to them wanting to vote more to reduce inequality even further. So we can easily imagine those virtuous circles as well as the vicious ones. And when you look at something like mental health, and particularly you mentioned earlier, Richard, the, the narcissism problem we have of, of you know, when when you're trying to look at these figures, it, it, how much is that people are now being more open about mental health? It's lost some of its stigma, and therefore, has it become because it's more reported? Has it has it become a, a bigger problem, or is it just something which was always there but we weren't recording properly in the first place? And how much, when you're talking about this kind of almost kind of preening kind of attitude of some people, how much has social media had an impact on that in terms of the, the, the selfies, the Instagrams? The, 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 the right, well, let's, t let's take the data question first. Um, I think Sorry, there was is... was two questions. Yes, that's fine. I think that, I mean, obviously there, there is an increasing awareness of mental health as a, as a public health issue. And there has been a somewhat a lessening of stigma involved in admitting to mental health problems. And I think that's been an important trend. But there is still 
a huge amount of stigma associated with mental illness and discrimination and prejudice in, involved in that. Um, a student of mine has just found that you are half as likely to have your disability benefits renewed under the new system if you have a mental illness as opposed to if you have a physical illness. So there's still a lot of stigma there. People might be slightly more willing to admit to problems, but the kinds of measures that we use in, in our work tend to come from what are called um, diagnostic interview schedules where random samples of the population are asked about symptoms. So not do you have mental illness or are you depressed or has a doctor treated you for a particular condition, but you're asked about symptoms like fatigue and feeling low mood and, and these are used to group categorise people into having or not various kinds of mental illness. So I think those are less susceptible to the willingness to disclose. And I think the rise in mental illness is so vast, so epidemic, that it can't possibly be explained by sort of disclosure measurement. So the measures issues. are designed to be proof against that kind of problem and, and people have spent a lot of time uh, honing them to make sure they, they aren't just uh, affected too much by people's own recognition of um, depression or whatever. On the issue of the social media, we think it acts as a sort of amplifier um, of um, at the moment, the effects of, of inequality. So its use uh, amplifies the antisocial aspects of inequality. People use it in quite nasty, aggressive ways. Um, uh, it also, as you mentioned, feeds into narcissism and so on. Uh, in Facebook, almost encourages narcissism. Um, but in a sense, the importance now of social media means that inequality is even more important than it was because uh, it is one of the things that powerfully shapes how we use social media. Uh, so it, they're not either or. It's It really is important to that we reduce inequality so we treat each other better in all sorts of ways, including on social media. So what do you mean by it shapes how we use social media? Can you expand on that? Well, there's uh, the very aggressive um, uh, tweets and um, comments. Trolling, cyberbullying, yeah. all, yes. all of those negative uses of social media. And you'll say they're fueled by inequality. I think they're bound to it's be It's an expression of the rest of the culture, mm. and we, there's no doubt at all. We've become, since the huge rise of inequality in the 1980s, uh, a more antisocial society. Now, you forward a number of suggestions of how to help reduce inequality. Now, now the, the first thing is, I mean, you don't just talk about tax. And, but although you have a graph showing that probably the most equal country at the moment is Denmark, which also happens to have the highest rates of taxation in Europe, it's um, it's not just that, is it? It's no. not, <clears throat> so, so what is what what is what are the ways you put forward? We'll start, let's start with workers on boards and better <coughs> representation. Why before, is that? Before we get to workers on boards, though, yeah. I think you know we would want to state emphatically that we are in favour of more progressive taxation, mm. higher levels of tax, and much more progressive kinds of tax. Dealing with tax havens. Yes, and international and national regulation that will deal with tax avoidance and tax evasion and stronger social security systems that really provide an underpinning and a safety net for those who are, who are most vulnerable. But the problem with 
those sorts of systems, tax and benefit systems, is you get a change of government, you can have a change of regime right away. So although we are hugely in favour of those, what we're writing about much more in the inner level is how to expand economic democracy to reduce inequality. Yes, and by economic democracy, we need mean uh, employee representation on company boards, we mean cooperatives, we mean employee-owned companies, we mean mutuals, uh, all stronger these different unions. ways, uh, mm -hmm. stronger unions as well, all these ways of uh, making the economy itself more democratic, um, not having democracy confined to a separate area of politics. Um, and the... the the studies now suggest that actually those more democratic models not only have smaller income differences, and you might think your boss should get twice as much as you, or even five times as much as you. You look doubtful. Probably you don't think he should get uh, several hundred times as much as you, which is common in the, the FTSE 100 companies, for instance. Um, and uh, they, these, these more democratic models appear to do better in terms of um, productivity and so on. And also um, in terms of the experience of work. You know, people do say that these more democratic models turn um, workplaces into something more like a community. And you, and you do also point out there's no correlation between, you know, the rate of executive pay and performance of a company. Did, I, as an aside... Well, there <laughs> is. There is, but it's the opposite way <laughs> around to what it should be. Yeah. Um, instead of the highest paid CEOs having the best results, you find the highest paid CEOs that companies do less well than the um, slightly less well-paid CEOs. We'll, we'll park a bit, a bit about CEOs being psychopaths, just in case mine's listening. But um, we don't mean the they're key... all psychopaths. But it was quite interesting research. But there was the, the 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 key here about worker representation is about control, isn't it? It's about if you have more purchase in a company, yes. you're likely to have feel. And you're a better representative, you're like to feel less stressed and perform better. So I think that that's, in a way, it's almost a side benefit. So what Richard was talking about was the tendency, if you've got more democratic representation within an institution, that there will be more common sense decision making about things like top pay or raising bottom pay um, or workers' rights. Um, but you're right, the the other effect is that if people feel, feel more engaged and more in control, they probably want to contribute more, be more productive. Um, they enjoy coming to work in, in, in different ways. So there are sort of psychological, social and productivity benefits that are probably not, not simply about reducing the, the pay differences, but about giving people more control. But one of the, one of the interesting uh, implications of what we're talking about is that uh, although we normally regard CEOs as the best people to speak for the interests of business and know what's best for business, it actually begins to suggest that they have um, um, a conflict of interests, um, that if more egalitarian, more democratic companies actually function better in terms of productivity, uh, then... Uh, but also lower the wages at the top, the incomes at the top, uh, CEOs are likely to be against this. Um, and so, you know, maybe politicians shouldn't take the people at the top as the, if you like, the spokespeople uh, for what is best for the economy and business.
and you mentioned briefly earlier that, that, that trade unions have an important role here, particularly in a time of a, of, of a gig economy, because it's it's no coincidence the weakening of the um, yes. trade union kind of yeah, so power if we, if, has if coincided look, with yeah, the rise of inequality. Absolutely, if we look back over time and track levels of inequality against participation of the labour force in trade unions, they're, they're like they, they go completely opposite trends to one another as inequality rises, union participation goes down. So they're clearly important in that in that story of how inequality rises and falls. And just today, or was it yesterday, we saw the news reports from from TUC about the growing intergenerational gap in pay, you know, between the young and, and the older, um, and unions realizing that if they're going to protect the rights and work for younger workers, they are going to have to engage with the gig economy in ways that they haven't traditionally um, and, and seek to work with people who have zero hours contracts, very precarious employment, maybe aren't even being properly paid the minimum wage. The data seems to suggest that the strength of the, the whole labour movement, uh, including trade unions, probably also the fear of communism, actually led to a very long-term decline in inequality from sometime around 1930 uh, inequality declined until the late 1970s, and it was only after the, the power and influence um, of social democratic parties and the labour movement had been reduced that you get the modern rise of inequality that's taken in many countries, including Britain, back to levels of inequality last seen in the 1920s. Well, this is also the bust up of kind of Bretton Woods and the introduction of kind of Reaganomics and Thatcher. Absolutely. Yes, that's an yes. important contributor yes. too. As soon as you could have massive capital flight for putting money in tax havens, that also contributed to it. Yes. But the main reason why inequality has risen is, is it's not simply there's less redistribution through taxes and benefits. It's that income differences before tax have grown so dramatically. And so we need to think about how you constrain um, the income differences before tax. And that's why we emphasize economic democracy. So your other suggestions are a, a shorter working week, is that right? Is this, or is this more about kind of you'd like a, a, a kind of a, a, a more well, kind of social <laughs> way of working? It's about how we um, deal with uh, automation and the likely loss of a large proportion of jobs. It could be an awful increase in unemployment and inequality. Uh, but we could also take the benefits of productive, increased productivity and automation out in terms of more leisure for everyone. Um, and actually that would lead to a much better society. You know, it's, it's ridiculous that we fear automation, uh, decreasing the workload on our societies when we'd all love to have more time for friends, family, community, hobbies, our mm. other interests and so on. One of the reasons um, that we all work much, much longer hours in more unequal societies is because we desperately need that income to keep on buying the things that we think we need to demonstrate our status to, to other people. And the insecurity of work. And the insecurity of work. So if we, can, if we can reduce inequality, then we are likely to reduce working weeks and that will give people more, more leisure time. And I think if we can paint a positive vision for people of how much better society could be if it were more equal and that would 
not only be in terms of their mental well-being and their personal relationships, but more leisure time, time to spend with, with family and friends, then I think that helps to offset people's fears about what the future might look like as we have to make that transition to sustainable economies. That it isn't just about a belt-tightening exercise where we all have to make do with less and be more miserable, but actually it could be a transition to a more positive um, production of well-being at the population level for us all. I think a shorter working week does have a role to play in that. I think it's also important that people see uh, the problem of uh, really large uh, income differences as relevant to the many things going wrong with our societies. And, you know, survey showed that three quarters of the population say they suffer from overwhelming stress that they can't cope with. A third, nearly a third, say they have suicidal thoughts. And that's an appalling situation for a rich, developed society to be in, and it goes with greater inequality. And the way of understanding this is, as we said at the beginning of this uh, conversation, that inequality makes us more worried about worth, self-worth and status. And you can see things like consumerism, as about that same issue. It's an attempt to show my worth, you know, how successful I am, money becomes more important and I try and buy all the right things that make me look successful and so on. But if you look at a quite different problem that is also more uh, uh, common in in uh, unequal American states, the school shootings they have so frequently, Um, that is again about people feeling they've been made to look worthless, often by other kids in school, or or school bullying, which is much more common in more unequal societies. Uh, And that is again is a struggle for dominance over others and so on. And that, you know, all these problems exacerbated by inequality. And they're not quite different things. You can see those common threads that issues to do with self-worth and how we appear to others. So, so the currency shouldn't be pounds and dollars, it should be how many friends I have, how strong is my community, how do I look after my neighbour? The currency of self-worth, yes. It, it, this is a really unfair question because you've written a 200-word book on it, a page book on it, but I mean, you know, if, if you could wave your magic wand now and the, the one thing you'd like to see done as quickly as possible, what would it be? Well, I emphasise taking the first steps to... Uh, have employee representation on boards. I think that um, companies, uh, the big corporations, should have to pass a certain uh, number of shares each year to an employee-controlled trust uh, so that as time went by, employees' power um, to control their company would grow. Okay. So Richard's answer is much more directly related to reducing income inequalities now my first choice would be something that would prevent the perpetuation of intergenerational inequalities and I would want to see a completely comprehensive education system um, from birth and lifelong opportunities. Abolition of private schools, yes. And last question, um, how much, how receptive has been the Labour Party and even Lib Dems and the Conservatives what you're writing. Are you getting any political purchase at all? I think with our previous book, The Spirit Level, uh, there was a lot of interest. Um, 
it didn't lead to very much uh, action, um, but um, even um, I can't remember the, even the name of the last Tory leader. David Cameron. <laughs> David Cameron <laughs> was seen <laughs> carrying the book about, and obviously it didn't influence him. But he liked to be seen as somebody who um, and talked about it. Yeah, yes. he praised it in a, a lecture he gave so, Miliband too, and mm-hmm. we've talked to Lib Dems and Labour policy people. Uh, but not yet substantial action. Yes, I mean, we will talk to anybody left, right, you know, from any any part of the political spectrum. At the moment, um, we are connected to a group that provides policy briefing to, briefings to shadow cabinet. Um, but we are, you know, certainly not constrained talking only to those on the, on the left. Um, I think, you know, we try to work at international level um, with the OECD, with the EU, with various UN organisations, as well as at national political level. But we'll, we've worked with local authorities who've set up fairness commissions. So we, we try to look for political traction any, anywhere. But anywhere I think it's, possible. it's important to say that uh, although so far this is uh, largely words, um, words are the thin end of the wedge politically. And some people say in politics, words are action. You need a lot more than that. But if there weren't even the words, then you'd know you're even further back from having any words change. Words first, and then they'll shape the action. I, I'm yeah. a journalist, so I, I, I endorse the message of words <laughs> first. Um, Richard and Kate, thank you so much. The Inner Level is published by Alan Lane. Um, it is out on the 7th of June, if I'm correct. Thank you very much for spending time to listen to us. Um, you can go to our website, which is mirror.co.uk forward slash eyes, that's A-Y-E-S, to register, or you can find us on iTunes. Um, I'm on Twitter as at JBTMirror. Kate's on Twitter at Prof K-E Pickett. I think I'm Prof R.G. R. G. Wilkinson. Wilkinson. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>